Good morning. We're in Mark chapter 6. All right, let's pray over the word. Lord, move on us today, challenge us today, convict us today. We want all of our lives to bring you glory. And so we just say we are clay on the potter's wheel today. Shape us. Shape us, Lord. For the glory of Christ Jesus. For the exaltation of the Lamb of God in the earth, shape us. Consecrate us today, Lord. Set us apart for your good work. May our hands be put to the plow today. And Lord, give us faces that refuse to look back but press forward. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, I was laying in, laying in bed trying to fall asleep and talking to the Lord recently. And I just felt the Lord quickly speak a single phrase to me that, um, that this was a, a time of mobilization, that the Lord was getting ready to mobilize us as a church. And, um, when you think of Moses, for instance, in the, in the tabernacle, when the, when the glory cloud left, the church was supposed to pack their stuff up and get ready to move. Um, there are just seasons in the life of a community where God's getting ready to shift and transition some things and our hearts need to be prepared and our, and our ducks need to be in a row to get ready to execute the vision of God or the mission of God in our midst. And as I, I prayed and pondered this idea of, of being a people that are mobilized and, and that meaning we're not just a people who attend church on Sundays or attend church on Wednesdays, but we're a people with a mission to carry this gospel in every sphere of influence the Lord will allow us to. The idea of mobilization is that um, we're not people who just sit, but we're people who walk, put on the armor of God and fight and contend. And it was as I, I kind of prayed through this that I felt a, a leading from the Lord to talk to us a lot about in this season, the Moravians. And if you're just jumping in with us today, we've been talking about the Moravians, this group of 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 people in the 1730s, they really uh, were launched into a, a 24-hour prayer chain movement that they started. About 300 people in the community within 15 years released 300 missionaries. So imagine they're reaching people and sending people to every continent except for Antarctica. They planted missions bases everywhere. It was the first Protestant missions movement. And it was very much just normal people who got so messed up by the gospel that they couldn't sit still. They had to mobilize. And, and that's my deepest cry is that God would so mess us up with the gospel that we would transition from the place. You know, Paul says, I'm compelled by love. Like, I, I, I can't not act. I am so moved in my inner man that I'm compelled, forced. He's twisting my, God is twisting my arm with this gospel. I can't sit still. So this morning I wanted to talk to you about the first two missionaries that were launched out of uh, Herrenhut, the Moravian community. It was in 1731 when Count Zinzendorf, the leader of the community, the the kind of um, governmental man who owned the property and allowed these religious um, people who were being persecuted to come and build a community on his land. Zinzendorf brought a, a slave from St. Thomas in the Virgin Isles named Anton Ulrich back to Herrenhut and he allowed the slave, Anton, to speak to the Moravian community. Anton told the crowd that there were others like him on St. Thomas, slaves, who longed to know God. Anton told the crowd that he used to stand on the shores of St. Thomas, look out over the water and wonder about God, that he longed for relationship 
with God. And he told them that if they would ever go to St. Thomas, he was sure that they would find other slaves longing for relationship with God, but not knowing this gospel. He said, for instance, like his sister, who was desperate to know God. He said, if you're ever to go to St. Thomas and speak to my people, though, it would be a great challenge. You'd probably have to sell yourselves into slavery to get there and for the slaves to really listen to you. Well, after he shared that night, Anton, this, again, slave from St. Thomas, shared to this group of Germans, a young man named Leonard Dober, who was a potter, laid in bed all night long, just weeping trying to sleep, trying to shake off what he had heard. But he said he just kept thinking about African slaves stripped from their homeland, dying on some foreign island, working on plantations and and never hearing the gospel. And he was so gripped that he just cried all night long. He wrote in his journal that he had not been able to forget these slaves. So I decided that if another brother would like to accompany, I would give myself over to slavery in order to tell them as much as I've learned about the Savior. He wrote in his journal, I decided if there was one more person that God's moving on their life in this way, I'd sell myself into slavery to go preach to this people. Well, after leaving a prayer meeting, he ran into another young man in the community named Tobias who had the exact same experience on the exact same night. He tossed and turned and cried and groaned all night long because God was so moving on his heart concerning these people on St. Thomas who needed the gospel. So they determined that they would sell themselves into slavery. And it was this act that really sparked the first Protestant mission movement. Now on their way to, to kind of get on ships and, and make their way to St. Thomas to sell themselves into slavery. They were met by, by people who claimed Christ from other communities who greatly discouraged them from this act. They were met by such racism and prejudice, people who taught them that, that these African slaves were less than and didn't just, didn't deserve full value. And so and immediately as they began on this journey, there are people already telling them your mission is, is not, not right. Like you're trying to minister to people who, who aren't as evolved as us. And these two missionaries said that they just listened and didn't even really respond. It was like, I don't even have the the time or the energy to argue with your stupidity. I'm getting on the boat. And so they get on the boat and there's this famous quote that comes out of this moment in all of, uh, of history. These two men, again, Leonard and Tobias, they get on the boat. They're sailing away from their homeland. They are never going to return. In their minds, they're about to be slaves for the rest of their lives. And they yell off the boat, the Lamb of God is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And that that quote became such a, a, a motto in the Moravian movement. The Lamb of God is worthy. Sometimes they would say, may the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering. What does that mean? That Jesus on the cross paid a price for a people and he's worthy of that people. Therefore, they and the church should carry this gospel in order to Have the blood purchase the nations. He's worthy of the nations. Well, they got off the ship on St. Thomas, and they tried to sell themselves to the white plantation owners who refused to buy them because they weren't black. And uh, they gave themselves anyway. They just kind of made a place, and they immediately found Anton's sister. They shared the gospel with his sister. She wrote in her journal, she said, If... I could have the whole world, but not Christ. I wouldn't even bother considering it. She said, I am so in love with this Christ 
that you could offer me all the money and wealth and riches of the world and I wouldn't even ponder it. He's worth so much to me. And they started preaching the gospel to the slaves and some of the slaves responded, but after a while, they started to be mocked by even the slaves. But they just kind of steadfastly live by this conviction that the Lamb of God is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering and it's produced from an hour of tears where God breaks their heart through the night. Any Christian, any church that really intends to mobilize and carry the gospel first has to have her heart broken for the nations. You have to agonize in the place of prayer over the harvest. You've got to ponder the love of Christ Jesus that would endure pierced hands and a spear in his side and to be mocked and flogged because Jesus so wanted the nations. You've got to see the heart of Jesus for people. Let it crush you and then crush you and then crush you. But sometimes in the church of Christ, I think we are, we are so, forgive me for using this language, I know it feels harsh, but we're so apathetic because we haven't been crushed. We, we'll sit and not mobilize because we, we haven't been broken. This week we're going we're to read in the Gospel of Mark the first time where Jesus launches the disciples into their mission. Now again, the apostles have kind of been apprentices at this point. They've watched Jesus, they've watched Jesus, they've watched Jesus, but they haven't really done. And, and today, Jesus is going to, for the first time, mobilize them, launch them, release them. And they're going to have to carry the heart and the authority of Jesus to the region. Jesus is going to multiply his efforts through mobilizing these apostles. I want us to read today, I want us to ponder some hard questions today. And I want us to really look in the mirror and wonder, is God in this hour trying to move me? And is my heart soft enough to hear it? Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And I'll read through 16. He, being Jesus, called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. They went out preaching, healing the sick, proclaiming repentance, anointing many with oil, being healed, and Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work within him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Let me jog your memory of context here. Remember last week we read that before Jesus launched the disciples for the first time to carry the gospel on their own two feet, he took them to Nazareth. 
you remember we said he he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed a woman with an issue of blood who suffered for 12 years. He calmed the storm. He brought a, a, an insane, demonized man to freedom and liberty. He had success and victory and success and victory. And then he said to the disciples, so that you don't get the wrong idea about what ministry is, I'm going to take you to Nazareth and you'll watch me be spit on. So he takes, he takes the disciples first to his hometown, and in his hometown, he's totally mocked. In his hometown, he marvels at the level of unbelief that people meet him with. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples that gospel ministry is not victory after victory after victory. It's, it's victory, wonderful victory, and then being mocked for a bit. It's healing the sick and raising the dead, and then being spit on. And like, if you read Acts and just ponder it, it's, it's Peter preaching the gospel and thousands being saved and then being whipped the next day. And, and Paul's casting out demons and, and Macedonia and Philippi casts out a demon, preaches the gospel. There are women coming to faith. And then the next day they take a rod and they whip his back to pieces and he's sitting in jail for a couple nights. And so, and so this is gospel ministry in the context of scripture. It's victory and opposition, victory and opposition, victory and opposition. And Jesus want to make sure the apostles know that this is what ministry's like. And for churches, man, it's not victory and victory and victory. It's victory and spiritual warfare. It's, it's victory and the enemy attacks with sickness and the enemy attacks our children. It's, it's victory and then we are all feeling muddy and worn out and tired. It's victory and then we're mocked online. It's victory and then gossip and rumors start spreading around us. And if you don't get that what God is calling us to is to put your hand to the plow and your face like flint to gospel work. Every time someone mocks, you'll start looking over your shoulder. And Jesus wants them to see, man, this is ministry. Battle, wrestling. Now, that they've got a good reality check concerning ministry. They went to Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Remember last, last week we, we called it kind of jokingly Jesus' high school reunion. He sees all the people that he grew up with. They all kind of mock him. Now Jesus says, now that you understand rejection, you're ready for mission. First, I want us to think about the assignment. First, the scripture says in our translation today, Jesus called them. Jesus called them to himself. Jesus summons the apostles to himself. Again, these Moravians... Leonard and Tobias, in the middle of the night, in tears, hear Jesus summoning them. Isaiah in chapter 6, or, or in, in earlier, Isaiah uh, is caught up in this vision where, where, where the angelic hosts are looking for someone to go. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. There's a, there's a summoning that every believer has to hear. And if you've not heard the summoning call of God to come to you and to be broken over what he's broken over, I promise you, your Christian life is lacking. This gospel is not about you living a a common, casual, semi, or even wildly successful life. This gospel is about you becoming a sacrifice on the altar of God, allowing the power and the fire of the Spirit to fill you and to lead you to shake the nations for Jesus Christ's glory. That's your purpose. And if you haven't been chewed up and spit out by that purpose... You need to you need to lay in prayer for a while and hear the summoning call of Christ. Many times pastors talk about when they heard the call. 
I'm going to say to you today, the fact that I have a microphone does not make me the unique one who should have heard a call. Man, there's a call in the body of Christ in this hour to stand on your toes and proclaim the goodness of God in Christ Jesus to the nations, even when they mock you. Have you heard it? Have you been broken by what Jesus is broken by? Are we motivated by what's, what Jesus is motivated by? Notice, 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 notice that the apostles had to watch Jesus stop for the woman with the issue of blood. They had to watch Jesus go to the Gentile man who's filled with demons. They had to watch Jesus over and over stop, slow down, minister to those who were considered outcast. Jairus is a religious man. Jesus is going to minister to him. Like they've had to watch the compassion, the, the, the patience, the loving kindness of Jesus over and over for people. Jesus' loving kindness for people. And they have to see that before they're ready to go. So he summons them. He calls them to submit to his own instruction, to his own summoning, to his own call. If you've heard God in the midnight hour breaking your heart for this region, breaking your heart for prayer, breaking your heart for evangelism, breaking your heart for discipleship, if you've heard God break your heart in the midnight hour and you've known a night of tears where the Spirit is just messing with you, the question must arise, did you submit yourself to it? Because some of us have heard the call and then we got up and lived as if nothing ever happened. The sign of a great man and woman of faith is when they hear hear the call, when they've heard the voice of God, they don't get up and walk away as if nothing happened, but they make an altar, a stake in the ground, and they live by by the command, by the voice. God is calling the church in this hour to stand up with the gospel, to mobilize. Some of you have heard it, but the question first becomes, did you submit yourself to it? Did it break you? And did you come to obedience? Did we submit to it? Number two, he begins to pull them off two by two. So we've got 12 apostles. So now we have six groups of twos. There's so much we could say about this. Number one, there is no such thing as a spiritual kind of lone wolf. So, So Jesus is calling the disciples to submit to his heart, submit to his vision, submit to his voice. And then he's calling the apostles to submit themselves one to another. Right? Some of us, when we, when we begin to get passionate, we want to, we want to, we want to push away from community and, and view ourselves as God's saving final last prophet. And Elijah says, it's only me left. And God says, no, there's 7,000 others, you big dummy. There, there is a call to submit to the voice of God and to submit ourselves one to another. Submit ourselves to people who carry the same vision for the harvest. You, you, need to have a, you need to have at least one, if not a couple people in your life who are going to hold you accountable to fulfill the call of God on your life. Who live in faith and who are going to push you to take risk when your flesh wants to retreat. Being a part of our church, let me say this, being a part of our church does not mean you come to the church where you like the music and semi like the pastor. Right? Sometimes I talk to people and, and they come for counseling and I start to say something like, if I am your pastor, and they'll say, oh, you're my pastor. And, and I'm like, I think that, I think to you, that means that you, you, you like my speaking. But when you call me pastor, you're submitting yourself to me in a sense. And so when you come to counseling, 
I'm allowed to push back on you. Actually required to do so according to the scripture. And the same for me. Like I have to submit myself to the elders, submit myself to the body. And when I'm out, when I have, when I have discouragement or fear of their sin in my heart and the brothers in the church call me up and I have to in humility hear that beckoning. And, and I want to challenge some of us. Some of us are rogue. And I want to say, where is your mutual submission to the body of Christ? You can't come to this church just because you like the worship and the pastor. If you come here, you're submitting yourself to the family, meaning if you're beating your wife, you, you should expect to hear something about it. Meaning, man, if you're addicted to pornography, as soon as we find out, there's going to be a conversation. There's got to be discipleship. Why? Because there, by God, there's a call of God on your life, and it's not to sit around with pornography. And, and, and I have to have vision for what God's doing in and through me. And I have to have vision for what God's doing in and through you. And you've got to hold me accountable to it. And I've got to hold you accountable to it. If not, we are not doing church. We're doing some kind of entertainment. Are there, sincerely, man, I'm not, I'm not just talking to a brick wall this morning. Sincerely, is there, are there one or two people who you are radically honest with? Radically honest with. Where you just say, man, I'm feeling totally discouraged. I feel like quitting. I sinned. And, and do you have one or two people who say to you, get your butt up, confess your sin, and let's get back to work? If you don't have that, I want to, I want to tell you to stop here before you ever talk about mobilizing. Stop and find some accountability, some, some brothers and sisters in the, in the faith who, who encourage you, spur you on. The, the purpose of the disciples, of the twos, was totally intertwined with one another. Now watch this. Paul and Barnabas at Antioch, the Spirit says to the church, set apart Paul. Set apart Paul because he's going to be my lone ranger, spiritual kind of rogue. Set apart Paul. No, this, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. The Spirit of God calling and knitting people together to carry the flame, to have wisdom and discernment and insight. The Moravians were not individuals. Notice even with these missionaries, it's so funny to think about. The Spirit messed with two of them through the night. So we are, we are called to submit to the heart and the mission and the vision of Jesus and then to submit ourselves to brothers and sisters who will spur us on in discouragement. And then the text says that Jesus gave them authority. Now watch again. Submission to the heart of God. Submission to one another. Then Jesus gives us authority. Now, obviously there's spiritual abuse. And so, so don't hear me saying that you need to submit yourself to the spiritually abusive pastor who wants to see your financial records or I don't want to see your financial records. Okay, I want you to buy me like a, like a taco bowl every now and then. Um, it's what we got. That's the relationship we're dealing with here. Um, I'm not saying submit yourself to spiritual abuse, but when you're in sin and you know it, you need to hear the voice of brothers and sisters who challenge you. And then as the disciples submit themselves to the vision of God and submit themselves to the, to the body of apostles, the authority of Christ Jesus is imparted to them. The Greek here, it literally means he gifted or granted them authority. And so, so far in the Gospels, we've seen Jesus calming storms, healing sick, driving out like wild amounts of demonic entities. And then Jesus says, by the way, I am going to give you the same authority. He grants them 
authority. The church today needs needs to, in submission to one another, in submission to the command of Jesus, embrace the authority of the believer again. The authority of the believer to stand on your toes and look someone in the eye who's struggling with demonic issues and say, in Jesus Christ's name, go. And it doesn't need to be dramatized. We don't need to make a show of it. We, we don't need to, to, to be phony and flaky, but we need to embrace the authority of Jesus again to preach the gospel, not trying to appease everyone's ears. Right? When I share the gospel, I'm not, I'm not hoping that we, we kind of get each other. I'm not hoping that I can win you over with, with ear-tingling arguments. No, there's authority in the text, and I'm just speaking plain, straight. When we pray for the sick, we, we pray with a measure of authority. In Jesus' name, be healed. Next, let's think through their instructions. So we got the assignment. They are going to be called to Christ two by two. We're going to be given authority. And then he starts to give them some very specific instructions. One, he starts to tell them what they can't take with them. Now, some of you guys are preppers. Okay? And... and you start to feel like God's calling you to missions and you start thinking immediately about your bank account. Or you feel like God's calling you to, to maybe teach somewhere or to lead a Bible study and you start thinking about everything you don't know. And, and, and you feel like before you can ever do what God's called you to do, you need six months to 16 years to prepare for the call. And Jesus is actually saying, you don't get to go home and pack a suitcase. I don't care if you don't have enough supplies. Jesus is saying, right now is not about, you know, imagine tax collector Matthew going, I need to go home and prepare and count. Jesus says, no, you don't get an extra tunic. You don't get extra change of clothes. You don't get to put money in your bags. You get to just go in faith. They can't take food. They can't take money in their bags. They, they're going to wear sandals, praise God, because they're going to walk. But they can't bring an extra tunic. It's really an interesting command. Because some of us are constantly putting off the call of God because we don't feel prepared yet. And Jesus is saying to these disciples, stop with your preparation and start with your obedience. Stop with your preparation. Start with your obedience. He's also calling them to trust provision that will flow through hospitality. This is actually pretty fascinating. He's calling the apostles to carry the gospel to all kinds of new regions, new cities, and he's saying, when you go into a city, you are going to rely upon the hospitality of godly people. And that gives godly people who are hospitable the opportunity to participate in the vision and mission. And what we see there when we think about that long enough is that the church, we kind of sow our resources into a pot. We open up our homes. We're willing to give to see our teenagers go get messed up with the Holy Ghost. We, in our, even when we're not the one Given the assignment, through our hospitality, we participate in the assignment. And those who receive a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, the scripture says. And so in a sense, we want to be people who, who hear the assignment and respond. And other times the assignment's not for you, but you still support the assignment with hospitality. We're talking a lot about foster care right now. It's foster care awareness month and my wife will choke me if we don't talk about it some. Like we recognize that not every family is, is called in this season to foster but with your hospitality, you can support the call. Does this make sense? Not everyone is, is we can't all get on a plane and, and go to Tanzania. Brother Bill was telling me he's getting ready to do some work in Uganda. 
we can't all go to Uganda, but through our hospitality and our giving and our resources, we can participate in the mission. Three, Jesus instructs them to be boldly resilient. Boldly resilient. Remember again, they saw Nazareth, right? They saw Jesus heal Jairus' daughter, raise her from the dead, and then immediately they watched Jesus mocked and spit on by, by a crowd of people with unbelief. They've seen resistance. And Jesus tells them, when you're not received, I want you to take your sandals off, knock the dust off of them, and keep moving. Now, sometimes in, in Jewish tradition, when a, when, a, when a Jew or a rabbi walked through a Gentile territory, especially a Gentile territory that was marked with a lot of sin, when they got through the territory, they would beat the dust off their sandals because they didn't even want to carry the dust of that place back into Jerusalem. And so the, the kind of visual idea is, um, I don't know why I was thinking about New Orleans this morning. You know, you, sometimes you go into New Orleans, you just feel gross, right? You just just stinks. I don't know why it smells like pee, but it does. Um, and the idea of it is kind of like, they're, they're knocking the dust off and they're saying, I'm not bringing that filth with me. I'm not bringing that unbelief with me. And so the, the apostles, when they are rejected, they are not to cry, to moan and groan, to quit. Some of us, the first time we're made fun of, we roll over like a toddler who's totally crushed. And, and, and this scripture requires of you that you find something called a backbone. And when you're spit on, the scripture, Jesus says, take your shoes off your feet and just beat the dust in the air as a witness against them. Meaning, I'm not carrying your unbelief. I'm not carrying your filth. Even your, your accusations mean nothing to me. Put your shoes back on and get to moving. The instruction is to be boldly resilient. We are going to experience more and more accusation, more and more slander, more and more gossip as our nation turns from God, we become a, a, kind of, a kind of post. We become this, this constant reminder of what godliness is, a constant reminder of what our nation is called to. And when you become someone's walking conviction, they start to spit. And, and we've got to learn with these Moravian two men. They're being made fun of for saying, we're going to, minister, we're going to sell ourselves into slavery to minister to slaves. They're being made fun of, and they kind of just said, I don't have the time to engage your stupidity. Put me on the boat. There are times in your Christian life where you don't have the time or the energy to engage with the stupidity or hostility of the world. You've got to shake the dust off your feet and get back to preaching. Don't you for a moment slow down. Don't you for a moment embrace intimidation or fear. Now, next, Mark tells us, let me me say this. I'm running out of time because I'm, you guys are listening way too slow, and you're just, everything about this is your fault and not mine. Let, let me say this quickly before I move forward. It's interesting to consider the instruction that Jesus gave, and then to consider the instruction that Jesus did not give. Okay, again, some of us, we feel the call of God, but you're waiting for like an Excel spreadsheet of step one through six. And, and, and for the, you, you want, you want God to, to Google calendar it for the day when you're supposed to start. And there's a sense in which God gives very specific instructions. And there's a sense in which God says, figure it out. Start moving. 
start walking. You ever, preachers used to talk about, you know, the old car, when it's sitting still, it's hard to steer the wheel, but when it gets rolling, you can steer the thing. You need to, some of us, you need to stop sitting around praying, crying, saying, God, you know, I feel like you called me to start a prayer meeting. I feel like you called me to start a, to start a Bible study at my workplace, but I just don't know. Like you haven't told me who to invite and you haven't told me what kind of snacks I should have. And you haven't told me what time of day to hold it at. Like just move, dude. Just move. Notice the instruction he didn't give. He didn't say, you're going to go to this house, you're going to show up at this time, and you're going to have this snack at noon. Next, we're told that they went out, they cast out demons, praise God, they healed the sick, praise God, and they preached repentance. They gospeled the region, they proclaimed, they preached Number one, the church is not a people of silence. The church has a message. The church has a proclamation. You need to stand and open your voice from time to time. We're a people with a message. We're heralds. We're the, the idea of apostle is someone sent with a message to carry it forward. We're not a quiet community. We're a preaching community. And what do they preach? Repentance. This hasn't changed. I don't know if you know this, but like the gospel hasn't changed. Still repentance. Okay, it doesn't matter how wicked or how fleshly, it doesn't matter what what sins or lifestyles our community begins to embrace or our nation begins to embrace or that nation overseas embraces, it's still just repentance. It's still come back to God, come back to the word. And we don't we don't increase or decrease the measure of our preaching on repentance on the basis of our society. We just preach repentance. We just call people to turn from their wickedness and to submit fully to Jesus. Give all of your they preach repentance. Lay down your idolatry. Lay down your paganism. Lay down your sexual sin. Lay down your selfishness. Lay down your bitterness. Turn from it. Repentance. They cast out demons. They healed the sick. They anointed people with oil and healed them. People will often ask me, Caleb, why at the church do you guys use oil to pray for the sick? And I can try to give you a big, long theological a consummation about how oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit and oil is a sign of consecration. Or I could just tell you because it's what Jesus told the apostles to do. Okay, the apostles just did it. Okay, they, they anointed people with oil. doesn't mean you always have to do it, but when it's, when it's there, we do it. And, and this was the way of the early church evangelizing. It was preaching repentance, praying for the sick, and praying for those who were demonically oppressed. And through this simple, straightforward mobilization, these six groups of two who preached repentance, prayed for sick people, drove out demons, we are told that Jesus' name became known in the region. Jesus' name became known. And what I love is we're told that Herod starts to tremble. So the the power at B, the the power who is oppressed, we're going to learn next week, who murdered John the Baptist, Herod starts to shake with fear. And some say, oh, It's Elijah. Oh, it's another prophet. But Herod says, no, 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 no. That's John the Baptist whom I killed. Now, obviously he's wrong. Jesus is not John the Baptist. But it's it's so much fun that he's so scared. It's just just pure joy that he's losing sleep at night because these six groups of two are scaring him senseless. And we've got a problem in our society when hell's not afraid of our churches. And... And we don't want to be intimidating in the sense that we use our personality to, to crush people. We want to be humble and meek. But, but 
man, there, there ought to be a shaking in the demonic powers as we get set loose in this region. There ought to be terror. And, and listen to me. Why do the churches, why do the apostles experience persecution? Because they shake the region up so much that the political leaders have to try to silence them. And, and sooner or later, I think we'll get to the point where there will be, there will be spiritual warfare that, that gets to political levels where people are trying to silence us, stop us, mock us. And, and the church has to again smack the bee's nest and then laugh when they come out and try to sting us. Like it's just their call. Pop it. Pop it. We're, we are not, we are not to allow demonic powers to rule and reign and to sit back and kind of cower because we don't want to cause chaos. Bring on the mess, baby. Stir up the business. Pop it. And then when we pop it, some of us are going to get stung. And you know what you're called to do? Well, Jesus says you should rejoice. We're called to laugh. And you know what's wonderful? When we pop the nest, we start praying about abortion or start praying uh, about foster care. and We start actually making moves and there's less kids in group homes and more kids in Christian homes being discipled. And then people get an opinion about it and start gossiping about it. And we start to feel attacked. You know, this incredible weapon that we have, it's called fasting and prayer. When we get popped, we, we, we fast, meet in the room and pray. And you know what we do? We pop back. You're actually called to a fight. Just, just a good old fashioned wrestling match. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of the air. And at some point in your Christian life, I don't know why I'm chatty today, but I am. Some point in your Christian life, you you learn to stop being so afraid of that wrestling and you start to enjoy the match. You, you hear what I'm saying? Not that I'm excited about whatever warfare comes, but I, but I know the enemy's pushing back because he's getting pushed on. And Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. But sometimes I think when the church becomes passive and apathetic and stale, we never get any, any opposition because we're not giving any opposition. Well, we are called to be a people of opposition. And if we're going to be mobilized and launched into our gospel call, we have to allow the heart of God to break us to the place that we're willing to be spit on for the sake of the drunkard getting set free. Like I'm willing to be mocked and made fun of if that marriage is restored. I'm willing to be called a bigot if what I'm actually doing is leading kids without homes to find home. I'm, leading the, I'm willing to be called hateful if what I'm actually doing is propagating for the sanctity of life for the unborn. Call me what you want to call me, but if less babies are being murdered, let's go. I just got so Gen Z on you. Worship team, Z, come for me. Come on, disturb the peace. Let's, let's create some turmoil, turmoil with prayer and fasting. Today, what I want to do is you, as you stand to your feet, I want to ask God to, to beckon us. I want to ask the Lord, if there's some of us who haven't heard the call of Jesus, haven't been broken to tears over the ministry and the heart of Jesus, I want to ask Jesus just to break us. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, the good news is you can turn from your sin today and can be bought and purchased with the blood of the lamb. You can be fully forgiven. We don't really care what sexual sin you committed last night about your drug addiction, your theft, your selfishness. We don't care about any of that. Get right with Jesus today and you leave here a new person. Come to Jesus today and repent of it and give your life to Jesus and you walk out of here clean and holy and a part of the family. 
And you can quit with all your purposelessness and you can start messing some stuff up with us. Today is a day of salvation. If that's you, man, altar team, get in place for me. If that's you, I want to invite you to come to the altar. Two, for the, for the, for the, for the saint in the room, for the believer in the room, let me just say, man, we, we need to be willing to have God break us to the place of tears. We need God to grip our hearts again. We need to have a vision for the harvest, a vision for this community. We need to be compelled by love. And so as that leads us in worship this morning, I want to ask you to respond. If as, as I've preached, you just felt the spirit prick you at all, I want to ask you to come to the altar, maybe kneel, and let's ask God, give us the heart of Jesus. Break us from, from apathy and staleness. Break us for the gospel. Saints in the room, I want to ask you to respond this morning. Maybe if you're here and you say, I've known that voice, but I haven't given my life to it. And you need to repent. Today's your day to get in the altar and say to God, my life is yours fully, fully consecrated. Come. I want you to come respond. Pastor Brad, come for me.